New York and Portland both have six to 8% mode share. 10 years ago, both of them started putting in bike lanes. They quickly got there and they've stayed there for 10 years. They're store owners thinking that the most precious part of the community is the parking spot right in front of their store. Hi, I'm Jen Guitart from the California Bicycle Coalition, and this is the Bike Talk CalBike Minute. CalBike advocates for better biking at the state level in California. Here's our latest. We start this week with a reflection on disappointing news out of Sacramento. In 2021, CalBec decided to sponsor two related bills that would have legalized safe, common biking and walking behaviors. The Freedom to Walk Act, AB 1238, authored by Assemblymember Phil Ting, would have ended jaywalking tickets for carefully crossing a street mid-block when it is safe to do so. The Safety Stop Bill, AB 122, authored by Assemblymember Tasha Borner Horvath, would have legalized the safety stop that nearly all of us do, biking carefully through a stop sign without stopping when you have the right of way. The bicycle safety stop had broad bipartisan support from the Assembly, the Senate, and of course, people who ride bikes. Similar laws are on the books in 10 other states and have been proven to reduce collisions and improve conditions for bike riders. CalBike is disappointed that Governor Newsom vetoed this bill. Apparently, he doesn't ride a bike. Policing jaywalking often amounts to punishing people for the lack of government services in their communities. CalBike's Freedom to Walk Act would have made our streets safer for people of color who are disproportionately ticketed and harassed for jaywalking because of unfair policing practices, as well as discriminatory planning that has left Black and Latinx neighborhoods with fewer lights and crosswalks at which to cross conveniently and safely. It would have marked a much needed change in the way California approaches street safety. Our goal with both the Bicycle Safety Stop Bill and the Freedom to Walk Act was to broaden and strengthen the movement for the dignity and safety of people who walk and bike. And more concretely, to eliminate two excuses for pretextual policing, where police stop Black and Latinx people for minor infractions and then escalate those encounters into violence sometimes. While we were disappointed that Governor Newsom vetoed the bills, by running these campaigns, we made great progress towards strengthening our movement and raising awareness about pretextual policing and street safety for people biking and walking. More than 100 organizations and 3,000 people signed on in support of both bills. The Freedom to Walk campaign started a national discussion about how we have criminalized walking in this country. It was even featured on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And while Newsom vetoed these bills, he claimed in his veto message to support the principles behind them. CalBike will use the momentum from this campaign to keep up the pressure on Newsom and other leaders to adopt policies that match their principles. If you were one of the people who emailed your representative or the governor, thank you. You made a difference. The California Bicycle Coalition will continue to advocate to make our streets safe for everyone who bikes and walks, especially Black, Indigenous, and other people of color and we'll count on you to help power that advocacy. Okay, we'll end with some good news. CalBike's first advanced symposium for the California Bicycle Summit was a smashing success. More than 125 people attended our online session about cycling for sustainable cities, 
and it was a fantastic and inspiring presentation. You can view a recording of the webinar and register for our next free online workshop in December, Lessons from Latin America, at calbeck.org summit. We hope you'll join us for our upcoming online symposia in December and February, and for the in-person California Bicycle Summit in Oakland in April to learn and get inspired by the work people in California and around the world are doing to create more bikeable, livable communities. If you care about bicycling and about creating healthy, prosperous, sustainable communities, we need you as part of this movement. With bikes, we can save the world. Learn more at calbike.org. That's C-A-L-B-I-K-E dot O-R-G. I'm Jen Guitart for the California Bicycle Coalition, and this has been the CalBike Bike Talk Minute. So what are we talking about this week? So I had a great interview with Brett Atencio Thomas from Metro. He came on in his personal capacity, and he said something that kind of ended up rocking my world. So this is the story. He mentions that LA has a 1.2% mode share, but New York and Portland both have 6 to 8% mode share. And I was like, well, that's a coincidence that they're both the same. And mm. he's like, yeah. 10 years ago, both of them started putting in bike lanes. They quickly got there and they've stayed there for 10 years. I'm like, well, that's two coincidences. And I've been on TV shows where you can only have one coincidence per episode because otherwise it just gets really silly (laughs) if you have too many coincidences. (laughs) My daughter's obsessed with murder. She wrote, somebody seems to die in Cabot Cove every week. So I started thinking about that number. It's under 8%, right? And LA is 1%. So I was in New York biking. There's a city bike right where I was staying at my sister's. I was taking it every day. I was in heaven. I had an e-boost. I could get up this little hill I had to get up. And then every now and then the bike lane would end and I get spit out into traffic on Broadway. This happened like three times. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'd rather just walk. And I started to think that like, maybe there are people who think about fear differently or who experience fear differently. Yeah. And New York and Portland are completely different. So what are the chances that this could happen? So one of my best friends is a hurricane chaser. I don't know if you know what hurricane chasers are. They're people who fly into the hurricane (laughs) and record it. You can Google him. He's hurricane man. Okay. And it's crazy what he does, but he loves it. He's an adrenaline junkie. And I would compare that to maybe Don Ward who raced a jet blue plane from LAX to Long Beach, right? This is like a whole nother level. I went zip lining once and I was like, I am never doing this again. I don't like fear. I don't feel good about it. So I started to think that there are different kinds of fear, how we experience it. And what if there's the 1% of people who will bike in LA and then there's like 7% who can handle New York or Portland, right? They're bike lanes, but traffic's going 30, 40 miles an hour. The bike lane ends. And then what if 92% are like me? I'm not interested in stress. I don't like it. It's like I'm up for yoga and I'm not up for kite surfing. And they actually neuropsych evaluations is a way to like measure certain things. If you ever have dyslexia or something, you get a neuropsych and they measure fear. So, and it makes sense that there's different types of people in the world, right? So I was talking to Dave Snyder last week from Calbike and I told him my theory, like, what if there are different types of people? And he's like, there's a man called Roger Geller from Portland who wrote about this. And if you just Google Roger Geller, there are four types of bike riders. This is what he found. 1% are strong and fearless. 7% are enthused and confident, right? Mm -hmm. 8% and then 60% are interested, concerned, and 33% are no way, no how. 
so we know that 80% of people in the Netherlands where there's amazing infrastructure bike. And on any given day, it's like 25 to 30% are biking. And I was talking to somebody from the Dutch cycling embassy, Boz Govers last week. And I told him this whole theory. <laughs> He's like, yep, you'll never get more than 8% if it's not safe. So, wow. And you just figured this out on your own. Well, with a lot of help from all these people and that amazing coincidence and the fact that there are very few coincidences in life and especially two. Okay. Can you just repeat the coincidences? That New York and Portland would have the same mode share and then they put in bike lanes for 10 years and the mode share wouldn't change because you would think more bike lanes, it would be linear. So you just inch up put in 10 more miles, put in hundred more miles, get to 11%, 16%. It's not linear. There's a ceiling. There's a cap unless mm. it is completely safe. Like safe is, I'm going to say safe is driving a car, right? Mm. We get into our car. We, a lot of people look in consumer reports. You pick a safe car, right? You've never drive a car that been recalled. Remember those cars with the exploding gas tanks? Mm. Like nobody would drive that, right? Cause you expect to be safe. Right. And you don't feel safe on a bike. But as I said, I think some people just don't experience it the same way. So knowing this, we're going to make neighborhoods that are safe to bike in. Exactly. Because it changes how we approach it. Because let's say we all decide we want to get people out of cars, right? It's a value. We believe in it, climate, whatever the reason. Mm -hmm. And More bike lanes won't get you more riders. I mean, look, LA can go from one to eight. So that's good news. Mm -hmm. But if we really want to see a transition to not a car centric city in any city, you know, New York, Portland, Seattle, we have to think about the safety and it's Mm -hmm. not a messaging problem. It's an infrastructure problem. And I think it gives us clarity around Mm -hmm. being advocates that like a PSA is not going to do it. It's really that we have to understand the level of safety that the 92% need and then build that. And when you talk to the Dutch, it's a lot slower than I think people think it has to be. (laughs) It's not 20 miles an hour. It's more like 15 miles an hour. It's like Larchmont Boulevard. It's Abbott Kinney. The Dutch call it cars as guests. And you know, what's interesting. I looked up mode share across the country. There are three cities with higher mode share than 8%. They're Davis, California, which is amazing. 23%. Berkeley at almost 10% and Boulder is about 9%. And those Mm. are college towns. And I have Mm. two theories. I I can't prove this. My two theories are, first of all, Davis just has amazing infrastructure. But my two theories are that it's either just in college towns, nobody has a car. There's an expectation that there's a ton of students walking around and or teenagers and young people in their early 20s are just much more fearless. Yeah, that makes sense that the people that make up the 7% normally are in the general population. If you have a predominantly young population, then that would probably be a bigger part of that 7%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the under 8% is the general population and includes young people and daredevils. And as you get older, maybe you just become a little more fearful. Why not? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Your bones are more brittle. Right. I think that this information, I think we can frame it for politicians because I think politicians are wiggling out of accountability here. They are, they like put in a bike lane and they're like, see, nobody uses it, you know, and they're kind of throw up their hands. And I think we can say no one's using it because it's not safe. First of all, Shero's gone. Get rid of the paint. Like it doesn't do or don't. But in my opinion, they're not helping anything. 
Mm-hmm. And then we can say, this plays into Laura Friedman's bill about speed limits, 35 miles an hour. If you get hit, you're dead. People know that our bodies know that that's why no one walks on our sidewalks. You know, if someone's texting and jumps a curb, they're going to kill you. It's so unpleasant and it's scary. So I think we can start having a conversation about what kind of streets do we want? And it's not every street. A friend of mine pitched an idea of LA streets should be every other. You have a slow street, a fast street, a slow street, a fast street. And the slow streets, the cars are going at a reasonable mile an hour. People can use the sidewalks. You have bike lanes. Okay. Well, who gets to hear that pitch? In terms of the politicians? Yeah. Like your friend pitched the idea. She said that there had been a charrette. It's when like architects get together and they reimagine something. And she'd taken part like 10 years ago in a charrette around LA. And and that that was one of the ideas that came out of it. Mm-hmm. A fast and then a slow street. Yep. So okay. you just go like every other and you could, for instance, like third street could be cars going fast and you go to Beverly and everything slows down a little. And if you want to take a walk, you go walk over there. There's different models of how to make the neighborhood. Is that the one that you've looked at? I actually think what we should do, I'd be thrilled with any of this, but I think the 15 minute city is the model is creating entire neighborhoods where you don't need to own a car. You can walk or bike to transit. And that's another interview that we had with Niels Van Oort, which is the handshake that happens between the bikes and the transit. And he laid it out really beautifully is that if a bus stops every tree, right? Every block, it goes so slowly. Most people won't use it. Some people will. There'll always be people who love buses. I love buses. For people who are in a hurry, they want those BRTs. They want a bus lane. They want it to go. They want it to go like a mile, right? And people will only walk five minutes to get to a bus stop, especially the way we do it in LA with the scorching sun. Nobody wants to walk a half an hour and then stand there for a half an hour, right? And then sit in traffic. Right. As it stops at every tree. And what I love about the Dutch is they study this at like the university department studying this. If the transit is fast enough, the faster it is, the further people will bike to get to it. Right. So they value it more. And 60% of the people in the Netherlands who use a combination of bikes and fast transit have a car at home. I just thought that was insane. That combination is so preferable. You'll leave your car at home. Even though you have a car, you get bikes and fast transit. Exactly. Bikes and fast transit, because we love a short bike ride. It clears our heads. It's exercise. What we don't want is a 45 minute bike ride to work, right? Where you're slogging and going uphill. You're drenched in sweat when you get there. That doesn't work for people, but a five, 10 minute bike ride is like perfection. And then people love being on trains, right? Remember being a kid and riding a train? Yeah. My kid loves buses and trains. Get to see the world. Yeah. So we know that there's that handshake where if you have fast transit and safe bike infrastructure, then people will opt out of a car ownership, which is great for people because cars are very regressive. It's like $10,000 a year out of your pocket. It's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like you just need all of it. You need the transit, you need the bike lanes, and then you need the amenities. You need the grocery store, the cafe, a bar down the street where you can go get a beer. You need all those little things that kind of make life joyful and amazing. And I almost imagine, could we have streets in LA, but connect them? So if you're in Westwood, you could live there in this great little 15 minute city, zip down Westwood to the expo line. Maybe there's an East West street. That's a slow street, right? 
say Pico and you can get to the beach and get to downtown and you just start doing like almost a Copenhagen on the streets inside the city. So people who want to live that way, they have that option and everybody else, we can keep living the way we're living. Sounds great. <laughs> and I know you're going to talk to people about this, right? Definitely. There's a group of us. We're working on it. We're imagining it. And we're coming at it from the perspective of housing because the cars are the problem with housing. Because when you make people build underground parking, it's so expensive that the housing isn't affordable. If you're going to try to figure out a problem that's at the root, cars are pretty close to being it. I know we're not the war on cars, which is, of course, an excellent <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I kind of agree. And when you think about it, it's not shocking that it would go back to cars since people hate oil companies and pipelines and the Koch brothers, they're a petrochemical company, right? That's oil, mm -hmm. Halliburton, like all these villains, right? People we know to be villains, known bad actors, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of all goes back and like they're making these huge trucks and they refuse to make them get better gas mileage when they could. Why can't every car be a hybrid? I mean, it's so obvious. You make all these little car 15 minute cities like Santa Monica, Culver City, Westwood, downtown, right? I love that. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but that's a great way to do it. Just do the little cities. Well, you can have that. Yeah. I don't know why Santa Monica doesn't do this. They're so progressive. It's so walkable. It's so beautiful there. I just feel like we've all been tricked. <laughs> and one day we're going to wake up and be like, oh my God, what have we been doing? Yeah. What are we tricked by? I think it's a combination. And now we're in a Gordian knot because I think we're tricked by the allure of cars. Cars are fun. <laughs> I once, for a very strange reason, I drove a very beat up Porsche for a week in my 20s. I was like, this is amazing. Right? <laughs> it was like a stick shift. I mean, cars are fun. The advertising gets to us, right? The allure of it all. I actually think we're in two different states of stress around cars. Despair about traffic. A friend of mine said, I can't leave my house from three to four o'clock every day when there's kids in school, because it can take an hour and 45 minutes to go five blocks. The despair of being trapped where you can't even leave your house. And then I think we're in a state of like constant little moments of trauma with the cars going by, or when you see an accident, I don't know if you've seen an accident recently. My sister got in a horrible car accident a few years ago. And it was just like, oh my God, this, the description and the photographs. I saw a woman over in Larchmont. It was a mom pushing a stroller and she had the hand of a toddler and the light at Beverly and Van Ness isn't long enough. And that's how you get to our neighborhood park. So people are always crossing there to get to the park. It's not long enough though. You have to run. Oh yeah. She got halfway through there and she started oh. running, but she was ducking like somebody was shooting at her. My stomach clenched. I felt like I was in a movie for a second because she was running for her life with her two kids. Oh my God. Yeah, that's like the opposite of what you're describing in the Netherlands of the cars as guests. <laughs> right. The cars as assailants. And so we're so stressed, we're in so much despair, and then we're so drawn to it at the same time. It's almost like an addiction, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think we see a way out because I think when people say we're going to do a bus lane or a bike lane, everyone freaks out because they're like, you can't take a lane from my car because I can't have any more traffic, right? So we can't fix the situation. It just keeps getting worse. 
I teach seventh grade English in a small town here in the Berkshires. And I started talking about the podcast, Bike Talk, and some of my seventh graders were vehemently opposed to this bike lane that they had just put down, this protected bike lane in town. And one of the girls was saying like, you know, what if I'm in labor? And they're reckless drivers. Like she had arguments against the bike lane, the emergency vehicle access. I mean, it was just amazing to me. I have to think that their parents were talking to them about their reaction to a protected bike lane. Do you want to hear an interview I did with sort of a, I don't know if you would say bike activist, but somebody who did a creative kind of a protest to create an open street? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. This is Alex DeVries from Ottawa, and they created an open street by just occupying the parking spaces with their bikes. I am talking to Alex DeVries, and you live in Ottawa. Yeah, that's right. And that's in Canada. And do people call themselves cyclists up in Canada? Oh, sure. I think that anybody who bikes is a cyclist. Sure. And you have this great form of, I don't know if you call it protest. <laughs> that you did. It seemed like such an elegant solution that I thought I'd like to talk to you. You brought it up on Twitter or somebody else brought it up. Yeah, it's been going around. We've been talking about this kind of stuff for a long time. So you want me to describe it a little bit? Yes, please. So Ottawa is not any different than many other North American cities anyway, in that we have this issue with business improvement associations, BIAs or store owners, thinking that the most precious part of the community is the parking spot right in front of their store. And of course, we know this is not true. You've been on a bike, then you know that this is not the case. But there's this idea that somehow the driver that's parked in front of their store is going to shop in their store, spend money and then leave and just be replaced by another driver. So to kind of point this out, there's a group of us and we just took all the parking spots in front of the block of stores and we parked our bikes there. And there's a parking meter where we paid the parking meter and put the chit on our bicycles just to see what the reaction was. And also to make more space for pedestrians on the crowded sidewalk. So it was to say, you know, what is the best use of space here? Is it really just abandon your vehicle or is it to make space for people? You know, I think organizations can have big protests and I think those are good. And I've been part of those. But this was really low-key and very easy. On the day it happened, what did it look like? How many parking spaces did you take with how many bikes? You know, I think unlike other events, we were trying to keep this low-key. I was trying to have the minimum amount of organization possible. It was really a show up with your bikes, expect to be there for an hour, maybe two. So we had, a, I guess, a block we figured out has about 12 parking spots, and we filled up a block and a half. And that was really without any organization. Twitter's really good for mobilizing cyclists for this kind of thing, especially things where you just have to show up. So it was pretty good. I would say there was opposition from some of the business owners there, but I guess they were opposed before anyway. Yeah, because they have this sort of layperson's understanding of the relationship between, like you said, the availability of parking and their business, which I think you must have read studies about this, right? Because I know I've read the headlines of studies. I don't know if I have one memorized, but business is not hurt. I know there are studies and I don't have one right, right in front of me either. But just in terms of logic, if somebody parks their bike in front or they park their car in front of me, they're just as likely to spend money. Well, also, if you make the area in front of a business friendly for people, you get more people. Yeah. And doesn't a store want people? <laughs> Stores want people and their money. You know, the way to get their money is to get the people there. So in this situation, there's a couple of things that sort of built up to it. Do you guys have BIAs in, in the US? Is that what they're called? I know we have them. BIDs, I've heard. 
Oh, okay. The business improvement district. Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here are the business improvement associations. I don't know why. Basically it's a group of local business owners who have sort of common interests and then they have a board and through some unusual way, they actually get funding from the city and they have a lot of influence over the street. And in this case, the community where this is happening is mine and the affluent neighborhood. And the people who run the BIA actually don't live anywhere near here. It's like a 45 minute drive in a rural area. So I think don't really understand who actually shops there. So then there's kind of a disconnect. They only see the people that walk into the store. They haven't seen the people that couldn't park their bike and just went on. So if all you're doing is looking for people driving, then all you're going to see is people driving. Right. In this case, they made a couple of statements in the press about it. And the city actually paid to have a multi-story parking lot built about five years ago. And it's, it's really underused. I think maximum got 25% capacity, but they still insist on having the parking on their street, right? Right in front. Mm-hmm. So especially last summer, there were a lot of communities going through this where there were just a lot of people walking, being outside and space was really important to them. I mean, I think physical distancing was, was really important to people. And people crammed on the sidewalk and then some parked abandoned cars right next to it. Yeah. And so there was, what, 140 space parking lot right there, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's been around for probably a decade and it's been under construction for the last three years to have it fixed. The top third has been under construction. So the maximum capacity is two thirds of it anyway. It's completely unused. And the reason that it's unpopular for the store owners is that it's behind the store, whereas they see key value as being the city-funded parking spot in front. So I guess there's a bunch of issues, but one is the disproportionate influence of business owners, which I guess there's a case for, since they're the ones who own the street. We all want our local businesses to do well. I would think that a business would want the maximum number of people to their store possible, and driving is like the least efficient way to get people to the store. And this was for COVID, right? Yeah, you that's during to... COVID, yeah. There's been other attempts at this, and we sort of talked about it before. In Ottawa, your bicycle is treated as a vehicle when it comes to parking regulations. So there's nothing stopping you from parking your bike in a parking spot, any parking spot. You have to pay the fees and avoid by the rules. But as some of us had talked about, let's just get some camping chairs and park our bikes and sit back and sit in a parking spot. And if you're parking your bikes there, you can do that. It's really when COVID came around, then, you know, people got a little bit more creative and became a little bit clearer that public space parking spots was actually really important to people. We would take all this experience of how we see public streets and transform that into, let's actually rebuild the street for people so that we can have larger patios or more comfortable environments, slower traffic, deal more efficiently with parking. I'm not sure that we're going to get as far as I want us to get. You're not sure we're going to get there? Well, Ottawa is uh, probably a lot like other cities in that there was a big move last summer and this summer to make space for patios. I'm not sure we're going to stick to that in the coming years, though. I think there's going to be a lot of those weekend street closures. I think those are going to dwindle a little bit. Okay. But the street closure, or would it have been called an open street in your town? I should call it an open street, yeah. (laughs) Was going to happen? We have a few of them. This particular neighborhood has been against them, the businesses. We've had a few in the city and they're incredibly popular, but people really think that driving is incredibly important. And so it's hard to undo that. This car culture is, we're in deep. Yeah. So what I'm getting at here is that this was slated to happen. You were slated to have these parking spaces taken away, right? Yeah. Another part of this too is that as part of the open streets movement, Various projects happening in different parts of the city. The local BIA and the mayor just insisted that that would never happen here. 
And this kind of spurred us on to show what the community can look like if we park our bikes there instead of parking our cars. I will say this, oh, it gets called a protest sometimes, that's fine. And this might be interesting to your audience, but it's really easy to put this together. You just need a few friends, take their bikes, go find your closest parking spot in front of a store and just park your bike there. It's that easy. Yeah, that's, I think, what appealed to everybody when I saw this on Twitter. It just seems so obvious. It kind of is. And I would hope that other cyclists do this and other places. And anyone who's into active transportation really just goes and shows people what it can be like if you use the space in a different way. Because if all people do is see space covered in parked cars, then they don't get to see what it's like if it's got bicycles or people or plant a tree or something. It's important that we try and see the space in a different way by actually witnessing it being used differently. Yeah. And so you did that. You created an open street by doing this. Yeah, very ad hoc, very casual. And you had to wait for like the last car to leave? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's always somebody who wants to be difficult. The guy pressed up to take over the block. He really wanted to prove a point that he was allowed to keep his car there if he wanted. Of course, he can't. According to the regulations, you can park any vehicle. And if that's your Jeep, then you can park it. So he really wanted to park there. And that's fine. He didn't pay for his parking. You didn't follow the tow truck? Well, you, can't. you could call bylaw, but it's not worth it. I mean, the mm -hmm. point of this wasn't bylaw is busy ticketing other people anyway. You also don't want to do this in a really adversarial way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't about starting a fight. This is about showing people that you can use the space in a different way. We have enough big protests. We have enough organized protests and rides and like all this stuff, right? We have all that. And I think the cycling communities need to continue doing that stuff, but they also need to do these very simple small things. I think that that's important too. All right, cool. So what do you do the rest of the time? I'm a software engineer. I work for a large Swedish company and live here in Ottawa. And yeah, I used to ride my bike to work a lot, but now we're kind of stuck here. I do a lot of bike touring. I've really enjoyed a lot of parts of the world, certainly parts of the US. It's been fantastic to bike tour. I yearn to get back on the road and go visit some new parts of the world I haven't been to. All right, cool. Keep in touch. Maybe you'll do something else we can have you on about. Yeah, I mean, I used to do a lot of advocacy. I used to be on the board of Bike Ottawa, which is the local bike union. I kind of retired out of it. It's great seeing younger people do those kinds of things now. Now I get to kind of retire and, I don't know, take my bike out and tootle around. Not everything needs to be so serious all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're on Twitter. People can find you. At, yeah, you uh, bet. What's yep. your handle Alex, again? Alex the Puffin, one word. All right, Alex, keep it up. All right. Very Alex. nice talking to you. You too. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org Navigate to programs And choose Bike Talk on the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BiketalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 